It's Tuesday, July 29th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser. Happy Tuesday. How are you, my friend? It's earnings season, so I'm I'm always good when it, I, I shouldn't say I'm always good because certainly the earnings aren't always good, as we will talk about shortly. Yeah, but earnings uh, season's <laughs> exciting. I, I agree. I like it. I mean, it's a lot of work, but for me, it's man four times a year. It beats non-earnings season. It beats yeah. the two weeks before earnings season. Producing starts. these shows, uh, coming up with the ideas. All yeah. Uh, let's start with Tile Shop Holdings. Second quarter results: the profits were lower than expected. Overall revenue down nearly fifteen percent. The shares were down when I checked them right before coming in the studio. Shares down about eleven, twelve percent. Yep. And this is uh, twenty fourteen has been a rough one for this stock. It really has. Yeah, I mean, for investors who are looking at this and thinking, "Hey, let's back up the truck on this dip." I mean, I'm. I'm Please be careful, you know, before doing that. Understand exactly why the stock is having trouble because you're right. It's been a tough year for uh, Tile Shop. It's been a tough year for uh, other sort of housing-related stocks like lumber liquidators, the container store. Even uh, comps were flat. It's worth noting that their two-year comps were up 15 percent, so that's encouraging. But I think that's a little bit more backloaded. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we've been talking about this sort of challenging retail environment. We heard. Uh, the container stores call where they're talking about a retail funk. And I think that what we've seen over the course of these last few weeks is there's not a retail funk. It's just that these housing related stocks are, are in a little bit of a are in a little bit of a bind. I mean lumber liquidators uh, quarter along with the container stores quarter, I think back that up. I mean, you know, I don't think hardwood floors and tile and two thousand dollar closet solutions uh, are necessarily good indicators of the general retail environment. Uh, you know, I was going through the container store or the uh, tile shops call here, and so one thing they were talking about is the existing home sales for uh, people. This is this is something that they follow closely. They feel like it's a metric that's really relevant to their business. And um, comparing 2013 to 2014, the quarterly growth rate in 2013 was between 10 and 13 percentage points through the third quarter before falling to slight growth in the fourth quarter. But in 2014, they've seen declines of 5 to 7%. Um, and so, I mean, I, again, this sort of goes to that some trouble in the housing sector. It's, it's been a little bit of a volatile one. And I think that leads to uh, some uncertainty where you know the tile shop and lumber liquidators and stores like that are concerned. It seems like for some of these businesses that are more focused on the high end, because you're right, not everyone's going to get the $2,000 closet solution. And by the way, once they get that, that's not really a repeat purchase kind of business. This yeah. is not the classic razor and blades model. So it seems like when times are good for these higher end retailers, they can be really good when they start to struggle depending on who you're talking about and how good they are at operating, it can really be a rough turnaround. Yeah, I think that's a good observation. And I think if you take that one step further, you know, if you go back to the years before the housing crisis struck, where you know people were treating their homes like ATMs, they were taking out a lot in credit, they had a lot of money to spend, so they were able to you know, redo the kitchen, redo the bedroom, pay for these floors and tiles and closet solutions. I don't know that we should necessarily expect that type of environment going forward here. I mean, I think it's it's fair to say that you know once that housing bubble popped, I mean, it's not like we're looking for that thing to reinflate here again at some point. I mean, we want to see a recovering consumer, but we also don't want to see a consumer that's then you know loading themselves up with debt to the eyeballs again. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you look at the tile shop today and sort of where the stock stands. You know, they cut back on guidance for the year, so now the stock today is trading for about thirty times full year estimates. 
And so when I look at that and then I compare it to something like a Lumber Liquidators, which has really had just as tough of a year, uh, Lumber Liquidators is actually selling about 20 times full year estimates. And, and I think you know when you look at Lumber Liquidators, they're offering tile now too. I think it's arguably a better managed company, and they have a bigger footprint and better financial resources than the tile shops. I mean, if you're going to give me a choice between one or the other, I'm walking out of here with lumber liquidators, no questions asked. I think that from today's price, I think the tile shop can do okay. I think that management's going to have to really execute. You remember what all that long ago in November, where all the stuff came out about their China supply chain concerns and financials, and the stock got popped, I think, about 40% just in one day. so, I mean, there are some management concerns there. I, I think that they really have to focus on execution. And so, you know, I, I just I think this one probably goes a little bit lower before it comes back around. I think it can do okay from today's levels, but they definitely have their work cut out for them. Second quarter profits for UPS were less than half of what they were a year ago. Shares down about three, four percent this morning. We were talking earlier this morning. There's some investment going on here. The company talked about. Uh, there are some charges that they're dealing with, uh, pension liabilities, I think, in terms of union employees. So let's be clear: this is a global business that's not going anywhere. I'm wondering, though, first and foremost, when you look at sort of these types of struggles, the investing, uh, the first half of the year that really hasn't gone as well as they wanted mm-hmm. it to. Uh, is this just sort of a hey we've struggled for 6 months or so and now we're coming out of it or do you want to see how they do 3 months from now before you start to get interested you know i think there're two sides to the coin here i mean you look at revenue their top line revenue growth is growing i mean if you you look at global package shipments those were up 7.2% so the the demand and the growth on the, on the sales side is there the earnings miss uh, I think they're recognizing that they do need to reinvest in the business, build out uh, the business a bit more because it is becoming a more global company. Uh, today, inter- their international segment uh, accounts for about 22% of sales, about 24% of operating profit. That's going to change. I think that's going to continue to increase as time goes on. You know, you look at Latin America, for example. We talked about Mercado Libre uh, on Friday's radio show, and that's a company that. You know, they are essentially kind of like the eBay slash Amazon of Latin America, focusing on those big four countries uh, in Latin America. And you know, so so Mercado Libre, I think, is going to benefit from some some macroeconomic trends, a more powerful middle class that's coming up there, and they have a shipping solution. Uh, that they currently serve in Brazil and Argentina, uh, but that shipping solution works with the local shipping partners, companies like UPS. And so I think that you're going to see more international opportunity come up for UPS as, as, as time goes on. Domestically, I think you know we're seeing just e-commerce is spreading you know more and more every year, and, and more companies are looking at new ways to get product out to consumers. So it's not just an Amazon world anymore. I and mean, we can order something from Best Buy or from Dick's Sporting Goods, and they may ship it to us from the store that's closest to us that has that product. So that's all to say that there are you know, there's more demand for shipping options out there than ever before, and I think that's going to continue. So. UPS, FedEx, they know they need to invest in their business, and I think that by the same token, you know, companies like Amazon are going to continue for you know looking for new ways to sort of take care of that last mile. UPS at twenty times full year estimates, I don't know that that's necessarily something I'm terribly interested in. Like you said, it's not a business going anywhere. Um, I don't know that it's one that's necessarily going to command you know tremendous returns here in the coming years either. But to the point you just made, if you are a shareholder or you're interested in this stock. I think you can check the box in the positive column on two things. One, 
a big business that, if it's not quite a duopoly with FedEx, it's pretty close. Yeah. Uh, so, one of two dominant players in the industry, and two, the long-term trend in e-commerce. They have the opportunity. So, the opportunity for UPS and FedEx to benefit from that is there. But at some point, it comes down to how well are they executing? How smartly are they investing in their capacity? And to what extent, if any, do you trust management? Uh, that's not to say that UPS management should not be trusted, but I'm saying this is one of those times, and, and we've seen this with maybe more with retailers over the last six months, where it's kind of telling when a retailer doesn't really hit their earnings mark. What excuses, if any, do they give? Are they a Costco that just says, we're never going to use the weather as an excuse? <laughs> we, we will talk about the weather because yeah. sometimes it matters, but we're not using it as an excuse for poor execution. Or are they someone who you you look at what they say, you read a transcript of a conference call, and you say, boy, it really seems like they're offering a lot of excuses other than we just didn't execute the way we were supposed to. Yeah, I think you have to, you make great points there. You have to love their competitive position, the scale that they have and the reach that they have you know, already today. You have to love the long-term trend towards e-commerce. So I think they benefit from that. But it is a phase of the business where I don't think this is the only quarter we're going to be hearing about reinvesting and operating expenses going up. I think that we will see uh, over the coming quarters more of this kind of stuff. And and so, for me, it's not one where you have to just jump in right, right there immediately, because I think a lot of it does come down to management and how they execute. I suspect they will execute and do very well. Uh, but by the same token, I think we'll see more quarters of this reinvestment coming down the pipe. By the way, our listeners may have heard the story from earlier this month that the U.S. Justice Department has indicted FedEx, speaking of major <laughs> shippers, DOJ has indicted FedEx on 15 criminal counts of helping internet pharmacies deliver drugs to people who do not have prescriptions for those drugs. And I remember <laughs> that when that story good. came out, thinking to myself, well, not that UPS is necessarily going to issue a statement crowing about this, but I was just sort of surprised that I hadn't really heard anything from UPS or heard really any analyst talking about UPS. Come to find out this morning that last year, UPS paid $40 million to resolve similar allegations about shipping drugs. So, that's why. That's yeah. why. It's like, oh, that's why UPS isn't saying anything and, and people aren't really talking about it, because it's not just FedEx who has allegedly dealt with this well, it's issue. good. It's good to see that they're yeah. It's good to see that they're not trying to make a uh, make a headline out of this. And part of that obviously is because they they know they they were already caught. I guess you can always email us radio at fool com is our email address. That's radio at fool dot com. Uh, Want to share some emails that we got first? Thank you to everyone who wrote in. Uh, about our podcast, I think it was last week when I was talking about Netflix and my challenges. And we got we have the greatest listeners in the world. Am we I do. Right? We do. And a bunch of nice emails from people who very patiently explained to me that I can set up multiple accounts on the Netflix account so that I'm not being recommended things that my daughters are watching. So yeah. it's not the whole hey, you watch the Disney Channel, so therefore we're we're recommending this. So thank you to the listeners who patiently explained all that to me. Um, and boy, it did not take long for listeners to weigh in on our very brief conversation yesterday about El Pollo Loco this has just been the gift uh, and our, our trip to San Francisco that's coming later this week from Lewis Chan. 
because uh, you had mentioned you had looked up El Pollo Loco has a location in Oakland. Yeah, uh, it looked like it was the closest one. Uh, from Lewis Chan, the El Pollo Loco in Oakland is not uh, not in the best of neighborhoods. I would not recommend going there in the evening. Go to the one in <laughs> Castro Valley. Uh, from Darren Hawk, I strongly encourage you to check uh, uh, check them out, and you'll be very pleasantly surprised. Not only did my family go there frequently when we lived in Los Angeles, but I basically eat dinner there every night on my monthly business trips now from L.A. Uh, to L.A. from Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, John Barr sent us a, a, a great and lengthy email, complete with charts and bar graphs. It's a very thoughtful email. It was a very thoughtful email, pointing out uh, essentially that when we talk about places like Chipotle and Panera Bread and that sort of thing, no one should be confused in thinking that uh, these are foods that are low in calories. No, 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 not at all. Nor, nor are they low in sodium. And I think that's, uh, yeah, I think there's a, a you had very written good about that point. recently yeah, with I did, Chipotle. I did. I, I had looked into that a little bit. You know, one of the things I like about Chipotle is you do have some some options there. If you wanted to go in and give yourself a lower calorie, lower sodium meal, you you could pretty much piece that together without any without any problem. I think the you know we always we talk about Panera and Chipotle places like that being being better for you, but it's not from the perspective of lower calorie, lower fat, lower salt diets necessarily. But it's more from the perspective of the ingredients, and I mean, you'll you'll see, you know, Panera I think has just instituted this this non-antibiotic chicken sort of policy they have there, and and local and organic suppliers when needed. Chipotle, obviously, we know the focus that they put on on their ingredients. So it's it's not from the it's not from the calorie salt side of things. It's from the from the ingredient side of things. I mean, McDonald's is not throwing out you know a bunch of organic. You know, grass-fed beef, grass-fed beef, or free-range chickens, or whatever it might be, because they can't afford to do that. And so, I mean, you see the difference in, in their their costs of food. I mean, Chipotle and, and Panera are significantly higher. So, so it's it's a good point there, but also it's just understanding the perspective that when we talk about it being better for you, it's the quality of the ingredients. Uh, you're not going to have the same makeup as you might get at something like a McDonald's, where those those, those ingredients are certainly they have more chemicals in them than I think uh, you know. Any of the ingredients you might find at a Chipotle. Or and I know there's nothing that can be done about this because this is just uh, something natural that comes from the earth. But I, I just think it's fundamentally wrong that avocados are high in fat. I just think, I mean, come on. It's... Well, but isn't that the good kind of fat? I mean, so I saw, you know, we, we have Foolish Fitness and I've seen signs all over the place talking about these are the fats that you can enjoy, that you should focus on eating the good kinds of fats. Um, so you know, I should just get a almonds. big thing of guacamole and a spoon. Avocados were there. I'm not. Sell- I'm not okay. telling you what to do, but I'm, I'm an avocado, <laughs> avocado fan myself. And I, I, you know, if I get the chance to include that on my dish, I, I don't. Uh, I don't shy away. Uh, final uh, email recommendation from Ernie Swanson, who writes: After you visit the Crazy Chicken, go for a true West Coast experience and go to In-N-Out Burger. I suggest the cheeseburger with grilled onion and pickles and the French fries, animal style. Which, as, which I was like, ooh, I, you had me right there at animal style. But he, he says that's a slice of cheese that melts on the hot fries, grilled onions, and the sauce used on the burgers. And he provided the address of a couple of locations in San Francisco. So we've we've got our agenda. Yeah, and I told you the other day, I mean, I did a, a thing on KABC with John Phillips and Jillian Barbary about In-N-Out Burger price increases, and, and their price increases were for, due to you know the ingredients. I mean, they focus on the same yeah. kinds of things, better ingredients, local uh, when possible. In, in, yeah, In-N-Out Burger, apparently, it is just a, it is a, there is a loyal following for In-N-Out Burger out there. So I, I am, I am, I've never had it. I'd love to. I mean, I love me a good burger. We have our agenda. <laughs> we'll be lucky to make it to the meeting. Exactly. All right. Thanks for being here. 
As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Heather Horton. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 